apostolic means sent. So the church is only apostolic, not only in its connection to the apostles and the, the preaching of the true faith, you know, right believing about God, but also in that we are sent on mission. Well, hello and welcome to the Canadian Church Leaders Podcast. It's Jason here. And today I get to sit down with Father Matthew Francis. He is the parish priest of Holy Apostles Orthodox Mission in Chilliwack, BC, and he's the regional director for the BC and Yukon for the Canadian Bible Society. And to be honest, this is our first time having an Orthodox minister on the podcast. We're deeply passionate about the whole church in Canada, Catholic Church, Protestant Church, and Orthodox Church. And for me, it's a real learning journey. I've gotten to know Matthew over the last few months. He's a listener of the podcast. He reached out and I was just so encouraged by how much we shared in common, a love for Jesus, the scriptures, the filling of the Holy Spirit, evangelism, mission, formation. And you can hear some of that in our conversation today. We got to chat about a lot of different things, his story of coming into ministry. We got a window into the Orthodox Church. And we talked about starting a new mission in Chilliwack and all that was involved with that. And one thing I loved about this conversation is we did it in person. He made the long commute from Chilliwack to Vancouver to join us here at the office. So we're able to film it. We post all of our conversations on YouTube, but typically it's just the Zoom capture. But for this one, we brought the team in. We're able to film something. It's a little more crisp and fun to look at. So if you haven't already checked out our YouTube channel, you can find it by searching Canadian Church Leaders Network or CCLN. It's all there. We had a great conversation and we'll jump into it in just a minute. But before we do, there's another sort of resource that we've put together that we want you to know about. As you may or may not know, CCLN runs a church leaders incubator. It's for younger lead pastors. It's a two-year program and there's a lot of different components, but one of the elements of it are monthly conversations with guest speakers, primarily Q&R. So we get to wrestle with some ideas. We've had Mark Sayers on the podcast before, and he's a voice that we really really value. And so we asked him if he would come and chat with this group of 18 or so pastors. And the conversation was really insightful. And so we wanted to share it with you. We had to trim it down a little bit because some of the conversation was too personal or contextualized for those on the call, but we trimmed it down and we want to give it to you. There's no music or background or intro outro like this. It's just the conversation trimmed down some insights from Mark that I haven't been able to hear anywhere else. And so if you want to get your hands on that. We've got a link in the show notes and you can find it online. And if you put your email address in, the team will send you the audio from that conversation and a transcription for those that want to read along. And we're trying to think of the team, how we can make more and more of these other conversations that we're having in more private settings available to you as our listeners. So if you want to hear that conversation with Mark Sayers, you can find the link to sign up to get it in your inbox in the show notes below and on our website. Okay, with all of that said, let's jump into today's conversation with Father Matthew Francis. Well, friend, we've done this before. This is just the first time we're doing it with cameras. Yeah. (laughs) So I feel like today is just a chance. Um, When did we first connect? Last summer. Last summer. And you'd heard about the podcast. And I don't know how we, we first got on the phone, but we've had a couple conversations and we've been meaning to talk about specific things and then meander <laughs> to like we do. shared theological interests or curiosity. Yeah. And so I thought it would just be special for people to kind of join the conversation we've already been having. So thanks for coming out today and doing this. Thank you, Jason. It's a pleasure. Why don't you tell people a bit about yourself, where you live, family, 
church life, that kind of thing? Absolutely. So uh, my name's Father Matthew Francis, and I live in Chilliwack, BC, beautiful little city. Beautiful. About uh, 100 kilometers east of Vancouver, nestled in the mountains. It's the for confluence people, of for four people rivers. people that don't know, it is world-class beauty. It is. It really is. It's a bit of a trek from the city. Yes. And you made a big commitment to come out, but it is like, it is a beautiful place to yeah, live. Yeah, we're in the shadow of these beautiful mountains, and it's just an amazing place. And uh, I grew up there. It's my hometown. Cool. And uh, was away for 20 years and came back and had the great privilege of helping to establish a church in Chilliwack, Holy Apostles uh, Orthodox Mission, uh, with my wife, Krista, our son, Basil, an amazing group of people there. Mm. So we came in 2015. Hmm. and uh, we're we're still going you're still going made it through covid that's right we did <laughs> i think so anyone that like is in a planting journey of any kind that had covid in the middle of it it's kind of like we're still here yeah <laughs> we're still here god helped us yeah every step of the way oh it's beautiful i'd love to hear um a bit of your story that found yourself like tell me about that 20 years so you grew up in chilliwack yeah. And then to get what, tell me about the 20 years and then how you found yourself back there. And, then, and I want to end, I want to end up among other things talking about, you know, what that journey of establishing an Orthodox church in Chilliwack was about. Yeah. So uh, I grew up in the church. I didn't grow up in the Orthodox church, but I grew up in, a, in an amazing, uh, very loving, very Christ-centered congregation mm. in Chilliwack. Sweet. And so that's my hometown. So I always had that place in my heart and uh, grew up being very, very involved in the life of the church. Mm. I mean, if the church doors were open, we were there, right. you know, like, and uh, so in those days, like in the eighties, that was like Sunday morning, Sunday night, yeah. you know, like Wednesday, Friday, <laughs> like, uh, so I was immersed in that world. And even as a little kid, um, uh, I think God had gotten a hold of my heart. Mm. And so like, even as a little kid, I used to stand up, behind the uh, speakers, the big speakers in yeah. my parents' living room and, and uh, you know, try to preach to the family. That's awesome. So, like, as a little kid, I'm sure so they sweet. just thought that was, like, cute. And were your parents at all in uh, vocational ministry? They came, actually, to BC to plant churches. Mm. And they that was their goal. They were yeah. not in vocational ministry, okay. but that was in their heart. Wow. And then... The story changed. The yeah. Lord, uh, you know, changed things, and they ended up uh, saying, "Okay, our mission field is actually our family." Wow! And so, so we grew up with that, but their heart was always ministry oriented mm. and to serve the Lord. And so that example was shared to me by my parents. Wow! And then in the life of the church, I did as a teenager. I had um, adults who cared about me, wow. who invested in me, and so I think in the context of all sorts of settings that was really strong for me. Wow. And, you know, as a teenager, I often felt like, oh, maybe I'm the only Christian at school here. I don't know. Yeah, were you uh, at public school? Yes, yeah. for sure. And growing up in in the Fraser Valley, which is kind of the Bible Belt, yeah. I definitely was not the only Christian, but yeah. I sometimes felt, felt like that. felt that way. Because I came from quite a small congregation. Mm -hmm. and we didn't have a big youth group or anything. Um, but I was able to connect with people in some other uh, congregations. Mm. And by my late teenage years, I had really felt that um, calling towards serving the Lord, wow. serving in ministry. And so some of the conversations you've had really resonate with me in that. And so I was involved in in just trying to serve in our in my high school. Yeah. And um, 
by the time I was like in grade 11 or 12 here, I was a Regent College groupie. Oh, seriously? So, so you're, yeah. you're that theologian. So that you were ahead of me on that. I didn't know about, because I came from maybe a tradition. My whole experience as a teenager was like, the spirits move in, get on board. Yeah. I didn't think about training theology. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. I'm all doing back work now. I'm like, oh man, I got to cover my bases on that. I love hearing that. It was so cool because I used to come down to the drive down once I got my license with my friends. We'd get yeah. fill up the car come down and it, they used so to have cool. evening public lectures. And that was a good era for Regent. I mean, it's, oh, yeah. it's still great, but like, like Packer would have been teaching there yep. at the time. It was Eugene Peterson, Peterson. Gordon Fee. Oh. Um, Gordon Fee is one of my favorite theologians. Uh, so smart, spirit-filled. Scholar on fire. I, That's it, what he talks about. I love that. Yeah. And um, oh, what an era. That's beautiful. So that really shaped um, my heart and soul. And I really thought that I was just going to dedicate my whole life to being a scripture scholar. Like mm. I, I loved that so much. And yet um, wherever I went, you know, that call towards ministry was always there. So I went to what is now Ambrose University yeah, yeah. in um, Calgary. And during that time, I was involved in, um, uh, in church planting work with one of my professors, mm. Terry Faw, who is an amazing mentor for me. He's now actually the chaplain at Ambrose University. Cool. And so he invested in me in that time in my like very late teens, early 20s, university years that were so impactful mm. to me. And um, around that time, I first encountered the Orthodox Church at the same time. Because right when we were planting Trinity Church, which was the church that Terry Faw in, uh, Calgary? in Calgary established, yeah. we were actually looking at a building and that building ended up getting sold to an Orthodox parish. Yeah. And we went out and actually cleaned out that building wow. because it was uh, owned by the denomination that we had been a part of right? or were a part of. And so we went there, we cleaned out that church building. And then sometime later I got, I was already interested in the, the spirituality of the Orthodox Church, mm -hmm. some of the the traditions there that I had been learning that are designed to unite us to Christ. Mm. And so there was a little something going on in my heart and soul. And so we, we I went there for the first time to a service. I walked there and I didn't even know it was the same church that we had helped clean out. Oh, interesting. But I went there and I was like, wait a minute, this is that same church. Yeah. And I walked in and I encountered, it was a Saturday evening Vesper service, mm. and I encountered um, singing the Psalms. And uh, the Psalm they sing there so often is, you know, Psalm 104, um, glory to you who have created all, mm. you know, in wisdom, you created everything. And it was just like creation was sort of rejoicing and singing. And I just remember being like so moved by that. Mm. And uh, I stayed in ministry there uh, with Terry at uh, Trinity Church. It was really an amazing time of learning, mm. mentoring. Yeah. I went over to Manchester, England to, to further my studies yeah. in theology and scripture. And so I spent uh, a couple years over there. And uh, it was during that time as well when I was in, at Trinity that we were very involved in Alpha. Mm. Uh, I shared with you previously yeah. how those Alpha training videos, the early ones, had yeah. a huge impact on me. Me too, man. Way before I was working with Alpha, yeah, I remember just sensing something different, 
Like, and Nikki couldn't be more different than a guy who grew up in Chilliwack or a guy who grew up in Port Coquitlam, BC in some ways. Yeah. But just such resonance, you know? His Something about his heart and then the way that he presented that material. I mean, it was so formational for our team because mm. we did Alpha again and again and again for all those years um, before I went to England. But then when I went there, um, and I just wanted to go to Holy Trinity Brompton Church yeah. just because it's like this spiritual center, right? Yeah. And at the same time, I was really wrestling, and maybe other people can relate to this too, wrestling with, okay, God, where are you calling me? Hmm. Because I had no desire to whatsoever to leave the place that was familiar to me uh, church-wise, yeah. you know, to, to um, connect with a whole other tradition yeah. of Christianity. That was like uh, unfamiliar to me and outside of my comfort zone. Yeah. But something was going on mm. on a deeper level that kept drawing me. Mm. And I knew that God was doing something and I didn't quite know what it was. But I went to Holy Trinity Brompton Church. And the funny thing was that actually Rick Watts, the professor yeah. from, from uh, UBC, was actually preaching that night. Really? Yeah. I Rick Watts is an amazing. Yeah. I want to get him to, to come chat. <laughs> Incredible. Yeah. Uh, and, you know... Um, I don't really know him personally, but I was just so moved and I had this sense and I had to wait three hours to get into the church in a line Seriously, in those days because it was so It's crazy. Busy. It was a real thing that God was doing. What yeah. year What year-ish is this? That was around 2000. Okay. Yeah. You know what's interesting? Um, have you been to the leadership conference that they do? No. So no. I think, you know, Alpha's known, I've probably said this before, um, so forgive me, listeners, if you have to put up with me saying this again, but they're known for evangelism, like HDB and Alpha. And I think a lot of what maybe, quote unquote, in the history books would be like the, the work of Alpha, for sure. But I think the most profound contribution I think they've made to the global church is why we're sitting across the table from each other right now. It's, I've never been in an environment where I've been able to stand with Catholic, Orthodox, Pentecostal, Baptist, brothers and sisters from all over the world pray, worship together. And I've experienced that in their church. But when Alpha conferences happen globally, um, you know, you get a few thousand people in a room worshiping and, and they'll do a thing like pray with a few people. And I'm literally holding hands with an African Catholic sister. And I've never had the opportunity to have an Orthodox, but like I can see uh, – uh, an Orthodox bishop in the room and they're praying with people. And it's just, uh, and I felt, I experienced something I've never experienced before. I don't know if it's a mm -hmm. sense of God's presence or just, yeah, I, I felt heavenly. Like it was so profound to experience that. And that really has changed mm -hmm. how I view the church. Because I think like, if you do church history, it's, it's complicated. Like the way that these different yeah. streams have emerged, it's some in some cases it's come with like real blood and tears, sure. which is crazy to think about. Yeah. But then to have that experience and to sense what I felt like it was God's pleasure on it mm. has informed so much. And then I think a kingdom theology is where we go, like, man, God's working in such diverse ways. So that's in part so why I'm I love this conversation. Also just shared interest with you beyond that. But it's in, I just appreciate that you brought up HTB because that's where I think my heart for ecumenicism found a vision. It's so amazing, uh, the spiritual friendships that have been kindled mm. by God through that movement. 
And what I discovered, however, is that that spiritual geography in that little place in Knightsbridge, you yeah. know, in London, uh, is very rich because about I would say 500 meters away from, or maybe you know, from the door of HTB is uh, the Cathedral of the Dormition, mm. uh, which is the Russian Orthodox Cathedral in London. Yeah. It's right around the corner. Wow. And what I didn't know is that there was a person there um, named Metropolitan Anthony Bloom, who was a missionary bishop to England, um, who was going to have a very decisive impact on my life. Mm. And so I was listening to Rick Watts and my feeling when I was listening to him preaching that night, that summer night at HTB was um, a calling home, mm. a calling back to Canada, actually. Cause I mean, wow. here's this, I think he's Australian, but yeah. like, you know, Vancouver yeah. and this sort of like, okay, you can go home. And I was just, you know, in the midst of my educational journey there, but I later encountered Metropolitan Anthony and he's written mm. some beautiful books called Beginning to Pray, Courage to Pray. And for those of you who haven't heard about him, like Jason, mm. like uh, Metropolitan Anthony was just an amazing man. He was a medical doctor, a surgeon mm. during the French resistance uh, in the Second World War. And he committed his life to Christ mm. after uh, struggling with significant depression wow. as a teenager. Mm. And he says that he opened up uh, the gospel and began to read because he was at a very low point in his life. And he said that Jesus actually came to him and encountered him mm. through the scriptures by reading the gospel that night and gave him a fresh start. Mm. And I mean, that's, you know, so many years before, but I went over to that church and I actually had the great privilege to meet him and wow. talk to him. And I was really wrestling with all this because I had been doing some learning and I didn't know where the Lord was leading me. And he sat down with me and because he's a doctor, you know, yeah. he sort of does the doctor thing where he asks you questions. Yeah. And, and I mean, he was a truly holy person. Like he mm. was somebody who was filled with the spirit. Yeah. He was close to Has God. Has that set apartness. He was set apart and he, he was probably 80 by the mm. time I met him. He was an older man. He had eyes that mm. just, you know. I want um, I want eyes like that one reveal day. Reveal yeah. God's love. Yeah. But also kind of look through you a yeah. little bit. And I just felt that in the embrace of Christ. And he talked to me for like an hour, just asking mm. me questions. And then he said, you know what, Matthew, like, because I was really wrestling like, okay, like, Lord, are you calling me to go to the Orthodox church? Like, that's weird. Like, I don't mm -hmm. understand that. Like, um, it's unfamiliar to me. And yet I, I sort of knew it. Wow. And he said to me something really powerful, which I'll never forget. He said, Matthew, if you decide to come into the Orthodox church, mm -hmm. he said, it won't make you a different person. Hmm. He said, but following Jesus Christ. Hmm wherever he leads you yeah. will make you the person that you were created to be. Hmm. And I just sort of took that in. Wow. And then I walked out, you know, he'd made me tea and stuff, but I walked out and I realized he didn't tell me what to do. Wow. It was this incredible freedom. Yeah. And I mean, eventually I came back to Canada and it became very clear the path open for me that I did need to take that step. Mm. And, uh, you know, so it was very interesting because I, I went and I had those conversations with the people that I 
trusted, that I cared about. And I put out those points of discernment in making that decision because those are big decisions, you know, and and it involves so many things. And I think, uh, so for me, it was just very clear that that was the path that the Lord had for me. Mm -hmm. And then I actually was, was still involved in ministry. Um, I ended up moving from Calgary to Edmonton, uh, got very involved in the local uh, parish there. Yeah. Uh, St. Herman of Alaska Orthodox Church on right by the West Edmonton Mall. Yeah. And um, really the the priest there said to me, because I had sort of laid down uh, ministry at that time. Okay. So you weren't necessarily bit. on a ministry trajectory within the Orthodox Church at the time? Not when I came, because I really wanted to discern and to yeah. listen to the Lord and and uh, so I was actually working in government. I was I was working for the the province of Alberta at mm. that time. What were you doing with them? Uh, heritage conservation. Okay. So I actually worked in their uh, heritage conservation branch because I had studied in England sacred space and place. Mm. That was what I focused my theological uh, studies on. Wow. Sacred space and place. So that geography with HTB and yeah. And, uh, okay. That's another that. conversation for another time. Yeah. But I I just have questions around because. Yeah, I know the Holy Spirit primarily. I'm. I shouldn't do this kind of theological processing on the podcast, but I'm doing it anyways. I'm super aware that the Holy Spirit fills people primarily, mm-hmm. especially like on this side of the resurrection. You know, like curtain in the temple torn. Yeah. There is this sense of space that you continue to see. Wow, God's at work in this place. Revivals. When you say revivals, geography mattered. You know, you hear about revivals of people passing by a place on a boat being filled with the Holy Spirit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and then you come, sometimes you come into a prayer room or a space. And so yeah. I'm just fascinated. So one of our side conversations, I'd love, I mean, you can well, comment on it now, but. I think Jason, this is actually really important because what I began to see actually, okay, through the theological study, which was sacred space and place and the book of Revelation. Hmm. Um, and then also as I began to think, oh, maybe God's not done with me in this ministry journey mm. yet, was the work of God through the body of Christ, through the church, is in fact to sanctify and redeem time and space, mm. the places we inhabit. Mm. And that starts with us, okay? Like, And do you connect that to the renewal of all things language in Revelation? Absolutely. Interesting. I love so, that. So, I mean, this is manifest primarily for us. We understand this through... Um, the Eucharist, hmm. okay, through, you know, that act by which the church give thanks and praise, gives thanks and praise to God. Hmm. And then God gives himself to us, Jesus gives himself to us, his body and blood, his life. Hmm. Okay, that is so that we can become the body of Christ for the life of the world. So all of this was sort of yeah. brewing. And the, in those days at in the church, the, the priest came to me, and he said, um, yeah, so uh, I know you're new and everything, but uh, I know you studied the Bible. So um, we haven't had a Bible study here for like 20 years. So you're going to do a Bible study. Yeah. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. I guess I'm doing that. So that began this journey and we did a Bible study on the gospels and it was really cool, great. But that began this journey. And then I realized through that and through those voices that God was calling me uh, once again, mm. you know, and and so it happened very gradually in the yeah. life of the church, but I was called to serve the church as a deacon mm. in the Orthodox Church, and then later um, as ordination as a priest wow. in the church. And then, you know, I went and served in the local church there. I served some of the country parishes. 
I went up to Whitehorse and served up there for a number of years going up. Is every part month. of um, being in uh, priestly ministry in the church, um, ordained ministry, I should say, Yeah, is it that you s- submit sort of to the governing bodies, hey, put me where you want, or how does that work? Because I know in some yeah. uh, denominations, it's very much like that. I mean, there's there's dialogue. Yeah. It's not like that impersonal, but it's very much like I'm committed to this role. Um, how does that work in your context? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if you're giving your life to serve, mm-hmm. you're giving your life to serve. Yeah. And so it, there always is a conversation. Yeah. And really for us, the bishop guides that. Mm-hmm. And so we see that language from the New Testament. Yeah. The, uh, you know, in the New Testament, Episcopos, you know, the yeah. one who oversees is given that responsibility to oversee the church. Mm. And then the word priest, of course, is just the word elder. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, um, presbyter. Yeah. And so the priests are really to be the hands of the bishop in yeah. that sense, but also representing Christ. Mm. And so, yeah. So he called me and said, would you go to Whitehorse? And then that vision actually began to plant itself in my heart. And I think it was already there for my hometown mm. back in Chilliwack. And I started getting phone calls from people out here saying, hey, Father Matthew, can you come out here and start a parish wow. in Chilliwack? And there wasn't an existing gathering no. of Orthodox believers there? No, there was a little church, a little parish um, that didn't have regular services, okay. had sort of periodic service and the priest came out from Vancouver. But yeah. independent of that, um, people began to move out there because of course yeah. it's Vancouver. Yeah. And so they were planting uh, their life there, their families yeah. there. And they said, hey, we mm. want to worship the Lord, you know? And so they kept saying, calling me, like I would get calls maybe once a month, mm. you know, for a period of time. And I'm doing ministry. I'm still working for the government, but I'm actually in ordained ministry at the same time, you know, just like Apostle Paul making yeah. tents. Yeah. And um, so then it became very clear and that this was something that God was doing. Mm. And I talked to the bishop and he said, well, you know, look into it, explore yeah. it, see what God's doing. And so I said, well, maybe I'll look for a job out there and see what yeah. God blesses. And I came out and uh, a job opened up that was good, you know, to do that, to enable yeah. the ministry. I came out, I talked with some of the people. We served Vespers, which is like our one of our evening services. Yeah. It's entirely structured around the Psalms mm. in some people's living room. Cool. There was 35 people, 20 of them were kids mm. under 10. I love and that. We just, it's uh, a real church planning story. Oh, you got you it. You got to have some living room seasons. Oh yeah, that was that was the living room season. Oh, it's and, so good. And so, yeah, we served. And then uh, that was um, fall of 2014. Okay. And we came out, Kristen and Basil and I packed up the car and came out in uh, wow. in January 2015. And we haven't stopped mm. since. So, And use yeah. the language of, uh, it's called Holy Apostles Orthodox Mission. And you mentioned that earlier offline that uh, like the language of mission is important. Uh, can you describe that to me? So our church plants in our archdiocese, so that's yeah. the, the church here in Canada, we refer to them as missions. Mm. And this actually has to do with the missional identity of the church. So one of the marks of the church that we recognize when we say what we believe, mm-hmm. you know, in the Nicene Creed, you know, that's that statement of Christian beliefs, what we believe about God, yeah. Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the church, one holy Catholic and apostolic. Mm-hmm. Well, apostolic means sent. Mm. Okay. 
So the church is only apostolic, not only in its connection to the apostles and the, yeah. the preaching of the true faith, you yeah. know, right believing about God, but also in that we are sent on yeah. mission. So apostello, the word means sent. Yeah. And so mission, and the translation of that word is mission. Hmm. So structurally, we call new church plants mission stations. Cool. Because the priest comes in yeah. and it sort of has that dynamic. Then missions as they grow to be a bit more yeah. sustaining. And then it's interesting because we, of course, refer to established churches as parishes. Yeah, when does when do you upgrade? Like, is there <laughs> is there like a badge or something? You know what? <laughs> this is an ongoing conversation I have with our our bishop because he says, "I don't know." Yeah, and I say, "I don't know either." <laughs> God, but you know what's amazing, uh, Jason, is that uh, one of our amazing bishops in the history of the church in the 20th century here, he always referred to the church as a whole mm. as the mission. Cool. And what it's interesting, I think it's kind of funny because if the church loses its missional identity, that is to say, we are called, um, it was in the gospel this past week for us, Jesus Christ said, after coming to Zacchaeus's house, mm. I have come to seek and save that which was lost. Mm. And if the church loses that identity, we perish. So it's interesting, uh, this bishop from the 20th century said, you shouldn't become a parish because then you might perish. Hmm. You know, if you, if you see- <laughs> Sounds like a Pentecostal preacher yeah, to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's having fun with the yeah, words there. I love that. But it's like, yeah, there's an element of truth to that. Yeah. That, I mean, the parish is just that whole community that you I serve, really but. resonate with that though. It's like that sentness and that, that has an evangelistic edge, but it's, I think it has an even more profound dynamic in the language we were talking about earlier, the renewal of all things. This is, this is like the kingdom yeah. expansion, which includes- Evangelism is evangelism in its purest form, but not limited just to that. And I think that that sentness, it's like when you lose that, it becomes inward, it bends, which yeah. is a great picture for decay. Totally. You know, it just begins to bend inward and we lose. And and I think it's uh, Ross Hastings from Regent, um, when he talks about missional God, like God as the original missionary. Absolutely. Like he is the one that, you know, sends the sun, sends the spirit in the act of creation. It's this like outward movement and we're Absolutely. getting caught up in that trajectory. Yeah. And we live, it's so true, Jason. We we live in the context of that sentness and the church exists for the life of the world. Hmm. Okay. So like that is something that we just dwell upon. And part of that renewal of all creation manifests in the way that we do church, which is, um, of course, um, worship is so central for us, uh, that doxological focus on giving God glory. But then also the vocation becomes not only the proclamation of the gospel, but the blessing of all creation. Mm. So a huge portion of my actual pastoral work is blessing things. Mm. Uh, and that takes place in a variety of ways, but it usually involves stuff, yeah. the physical creation, um, being blessed yeah. or people yeah. uh, being blessed. So I don't know if any of you, any uh, people listening have seen this, but priests often bless um, yeah. things, you know? And so like we just came through this season of theophany, the baptism of Christ, where we bless water. Hmm. And, you know, typically the, the ocean's getting blessed, all bodies of water are getting blessed. And then that water, because water is essential to life. Yeah. 
it's like that most basic element of creation in a way, you know, in, in creation, God separated the waters from the dry land. God was blessing through that work, bringing his presence into creation, recognizing that all of creation is filled with his glory. Mm. And so we then take that water and we bless everything. So the pastoral work that I'm doing right now in this season between Theophany and Lent is blessing the homes of the people. Yeah. So that's very- Tell um, us about that. Cause I, I love this. In, yeah. Cause you're literally, you mentioned this to me earlier, you go to almost every home in your parish and you're blessing households. Yeah. So this is that opportunity, um, you know, uh, for God's blessing in a physical way, in a tangible way uh, to enter into the homes mm. of the faithful the people, you know, so we, we book it, we arrange yeah. it and we get in there and we come to everybody's home. And I mean, this, this looks like prayer. We do yeah. prayers together and usually the whole family's there. We pray for them. And then we actually go through the whole house and probably either the youngest or the oldest person takes a candle hmm. and we walk through the house and the priest has a little bowl of, of blessed water. Yeah. That water that was blessed on the feast of Theophany. Hmm. And we take that water through the house and we sprinkle it everywhere. We throw that water everywhere. And what that's doing is that's recognizing that God is still in the work mm. of redeeming his creation. Wow. That includes us. Yeah. That includes our homes. And so, um, I mean, it's it's a joy. Yeah. And usually, you know, there's kids. And, and then it's also a very important pastoral opportunity because then usually yeah. after the prayers are done, you have a cup of tea or whatever and you and you hang out and usually the kids want to show totally. the priest their toys and, yeah. and have fun. And, you know, I've spent sometimes um, house blessings an hour with sure. the kids talking about yeah. Star Wars or whatever yeah. afterwards because it's just that What a moment with the priest though, to have that. To like, Cause they don't get to see that on Sunday. I should note we're, uh, there's construction happening downstairs. So if people are picking up the noise of uh, jackhammer, that's what's happening. It's not just, not just me. I don't know, tapping the table or something. <laughs> I'm probably um, doing that. I, I think that's what it really stood out to me about it. I think it was the, for me as a pastor, I think what impacted me when you shared that was that the way that you guys have constructed the calendar and, and that has rich history, includes some really practical things like visiting homes. And I just thought pastorally, it can feel really overwhelming. I know a lot, most people listening are pastors in some way, shape or form. You've got Sunday preaching, the administration of the church, and then the people. And you always get involved because you care about the people, but sometimes that's the thing that gets missed and then it can become overwhelming. How do you? And I just thought, mm -hmm. I found something just super compelling about we have a season for visiting the homes, blessing them and visiting. And it's not limited to that, I'm sure, yeah. throughout the year, but they have this real season. I just thought, oh, there's something about that that I just found very strangely liberating. Yeah, there is a freeing aspect to that because as well, I don't have to make this up. Yeah. Like it's given to us. And yes. I think that that, you know, one of the aspects, I had to reorient my understanding of what holy tradition was hmm. because I think a lot of us have grown up with, attitudes that might suggest that tradition is somehow in tension with scripture, you know, the yeah. word of God, or, you know, we often think about the, the gospel in which Jesus critiques the traditions of men, right. which the Pharisees were hanging yeah. on to and clinging to. But what I've discovered is that the traditions that the church gives us, and by that, I mean, the body of Christ gives us 
Tradition in that sense is actually the living voice of the Holy Spirit Mm. in the life of the community. That's what tradition is for us. So if those gifts are given to us, it means I don't have to be like the most creative guy in the room. Mm. Rather, I just have to be faithful. Wow. I'm not going to be smart enough in my pastoral ingenuity and creativity and innovation. I'm just not going to be. And I don't have to be. Christ has given us everything we need. Mm. And it's just that call to be faithful. And so those things are given to us in the life of the church. And it's the dynamic relationship between scripture and liturgy. The the seasons throughout the year, feasting and fasting Mm. are given to us as one of the most important disciplines. And they are counterbalanced and we need them both. Wow. So in the life of the church, you know, we don't get to bless everybody's house every year. Yeah. It just doesn't happen. Yeah. But we can be intentional, especially when people reach out right. and say, hey, you know, can you come bless the house? Yeah. And sometimes it's really needed because sometimes people have been through maybe some hard things that year and they just need that renewal. They need that, mm. um, you could say that fresh touch from the Lord. And that provides then an opportunity mm. for God to reach out to them. I was at um, right near these offices, a sandwich shop with like owned by this lady and the name of the, ca- the, the shop is her name. Oh yeah. So it's like you read the sign and you say hi to her. Her name's Kathy and I, she makes great sandwiches and they're, it's hard to find a decent price lunch around Love here. Sandwiches. And it, it's That's just, good. it's just their money. And uh, a bunch of our staff go there often and she's been really nice. Like, I know that she likes me because sometimes she won't charge me for the avocado. Oh, So I know that yeah. like, that's extra. You're on the right path. I'm on the right path. And I this always- This is the way. Yes, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But I had this weird feeling yesterday, not weird, just it was new to me. Um, like, I want to bless this business. And uh, this was just yesterday. I was with another pastor in the city and I was like, do you ever feel this? And I'm like, I think I'm just asking you, like, does that, like, what, how do you, when you, when I say that, you, you probably have a framework for this, but I was like, I feel like I'm in my parish right now. That's so And awesome. I don't know what the ecclesiological or no. theological categories you might have for that are, but tell me about that <laughs> feeling. Like, so what do you awesome. hear when I, when I say that, that? That just reminded me of an experience I had when I was serving up in Whitehorse. So this lady from the parish came to me and she said, uh, Father Matthew, you know, it was theophany time, right? Blessing, house blessing time. She said, can you come bless my barbershop? Hmm. And she was a she was a barber. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, sure, sure, yeah. let's do it. So I came down there, we did the prayers, we blessed the barbershop. And then she was like, you could use a haircut, couldn't you? <laughs> and I was like... You could tell. You could tell. <laughs> so, so, um, and that was pre-COVID times, you yeah. know, you know, yeah. before we all needed haircuts. And then, um, and she was like, hop in the chair. Yeah. And it was very interesting because I was like, this is great. Yeah. Uh, just blessed the barbershop. Now I'm getting a haircut. But yeah. I could tell what was going on there was um, some something actually pretty cool and pretty mm. holy, which was that she wanted to give something. Wow from her heart, mm. from her gifts. Yeah. And I think that in that context, that's what blessing that place looked like, was receiving mm. the blessing that she wanted to give just by giving me a haircut. Yeah. And so that was like, I think it was kind of cool like yeah. at the sandwich shop, because it's like, it's almost more about the relationality. Mm. And I mean, that's something like, 
in the church, you know, we call the priest father. And that's controversial, you know, in some settings because, you know, Matthew 23, Jesus said, call no man father. But then if you look at 1 Corinthians 4, mm. the apostle Paul says, look, you've got many teachers, but you don't have many fathers. Wow. And what he was, I think, getting at with the Corinthians was this is a relationship of love, responsibility, and care that I have for you. Mm. And I'm going to be like a father to you. Wow. And this is the pastoral calling that hits home to me. And it's, of course, why we use the term father. Yeah. yeah. Is because, not because we're the origin of things yeah. or, or, you know, we're, we're giving into the kind of spiritual pride that Jesus was guarding against when he said, call no man father. We're getting at the heart of what the Apostle Paul was was saying in his closeness to Christ and saying, this is relational. Mm. I'm here to care for you like a father who's good, mm. who cares for you. So I think the relationality in the community is exactly that. And, you know, we have a couple of services in the church, actually, Jason, where the priest is actually told to go to the door of the church, the outside door of the church, and to bless mm. out the door of the church. Cool. And the reason for that is about um, living for the life of the world. And the church, we are not called to live for ourselves. And I think this is actually a temptation that we even encounter, especially within my own Orthodox tradition, is oftentimes we start congratulating ourselves for being Orthodox and for believing the right things, yeah. having you know true theology and true glory and right believing. Right believing is really important. Yeah. And, but it's important for a reason. It's mm. not to pat ourselves on the back and say, hey, good job. You're, you know, the right things. No, right believing is important. Or I would say another way of putting it, orthodoxy matters because false ideas and thoughts about God lead people far away from God. Right. But if our heart and mind and spirit and attitudes can be conformed to that which is true, which is Jesus Christ, then we begin to abide in him. Mm. And we can begin to live for the life of the world, for everyone. So that's that's the, the word that I hear sometimes, you know, when we get into like, okay, yes, of course, uh, right believing matters, yeah. but why does it matter? Why does it matter? I love that. Um, man, there's so many things I want to chat with you about. I enjoy this so much. Uh, I want to chat about the Canadian Bible Society because you've also found uh, some ministry expression through that vehicle. And so I just love to hear yeah. about what is the Canadian Bible Society up to in Canada? Obviously part of the Global Bible Society. And uh, yeah, and tell me about your involvement with them. Yeah, I had the great privilege um, to get connected in with the work of the Canadian Bible Society in 2019. Mm. And uh, it was kind of interesting because I was talking to one of my parishioners about it and he was like, well, you like the Bible. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's a good starting point. <laughs> it's it's great, you know? Yeah. It's, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I do. I love the Bible. And um, what I discovered is that the Canadian Bible Society is actually one of the oldest organizations in Canada, period. Mm. Like, wow. like the Canadian Bible Society has actually been around for um, over 200 years in Canada. Amazing. Uh, doing the work of sharing the scriptures. Mm. And, and they have done so with everyone wow. all those years. So just in terms of the legacy mm. 
and the faithfulness and the longevity of an organization. Like you lead a couple of organizations. They're pretty young though. Yeah. I don't even know if we've got two years under our belt. (laughs) (laughs) But you know, it's a challenge. Yeah. It requires what I'll call work. Sure. Right? Yeah. And uh, so the Bible Society has just been faithful in that and doing the whole work around the life of the scriptures in in our society. Mm. So that includes like translation. Yeah. Um, so for instance, I mean, there are languages that the scriptures are not even translated into. Mm. I mean, even here in British Columbia, there are over 50 indigenous living languages, um, many of which have never had the scriptures translated into them. And so that work of translation is still a very important part of the work of the Bible society uh, working with local communities at their request. Mm -hmm. And also, um, we publish the scriptures. Uh, we also distribute the scriptures through so many different avenues. But the thing is, these days, a lot of people have a Bible on the shelf in their house. Yeah. And that Bible is not getting opened or engaging people. Yeah. Um, actually, there was a major study in Canada, I think in 2014, the Bible engagement study done, I think by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, mm. that said that of people, of us, who call ourselves Christians, we read the average person who calls himself a Christian in Canada reads the Bible or engages with it um, less than once a month. In mm. fact, only 14% of Christians in Canada engage with the scriptures more than once a month. Wow. Which is pretty uh, eye-opening. And sorry, that's of Christians, not of the whole population. Yeah, that's just of people who actually oh, wow. call themselves Christians. Only 14% of them are engaging with the scriptures more than once a month. Hmm. So the Bible Society exists to help people hear God speak. Hmm. And so I've gotten involved in this work just here in BC and Yukon um, to partner with the church, especially in that area of engagement. Hmm. So how do we help people hear God speak through the scriptures? And I mean... Um, most people are actually doing that through community, through the life of, um, the church. And I mean, as certainly my experience, people, most people just engage with the scriptures by hearing it a little bit on Sundays, Mm -hmm. even if they're maybe never opening their app or their physical Bible. So, um, that's a huge portion of the work of the Bible society right now Mm -hmm. is just coming alongside, um, the church and saying, Hey, um, we're here to to support the work you're doing to help people hear God speak. And one of the beautiful things about the Bible Society as well is that uh, they have at their heart this value of supporting the church across all of the traditions mm. and expressions. I was going to ask because yeah. um, I, I I know that to be true. Yeah. Um, has that always been the case? So 200 years of history is that kind of baked into their DNA? Um, I think it I think it is. Yeah. Uh in the Bible Society movement when it originated, um the heart was definitely for evangelization. Hmm. Because the Bible Society movement was connected in with the great missionary movements of the 19th century. Hmm. So you see those great missionary movements that took place. Well, the Bible Society movement came alongside and supported that. Is it connected back to the Clapham sect or how, is that a different- That I don't know. Okay. That I don't know, but 
Um, the Bible Society began, you know, British and Foreign Bible Society began mm-hmm. in the 19th century in, in England, mm-hmm. and now is hundreds of Bible societies yeah. all around the world. And um, doing that same work and across all spectrums. So here in Canada, for instance, the largest partner that the Canadian Bible Society has is actually the Roman Catholic Church. Wow. Um, it, primarily through Catholic school districts across mm. Canada. Yeah. So that partnership is really important. And and then, of course, we have deep connections with all churches, yeah. you know, uh, here in BC, across Canada. But I think the important thing there is to say right now, we are here to come alongside and support to help people hear God speak. And um, one of the amazing gifts the Bible Society has is that ability to serve. Mm. Uh, across all, the whole yeah. church spectrum. That's amazing. I have um, real gratitude on a personal level and then nationally seeing the work of the Bible Society. But my life was really impacted as a high school student when I was trying to share my faith with my friends. The Canadian Bible Society um, started giving us Bibles to share with our friends. Yep. And uh, they let us design like for students across Canada, like a student Bible. Beautiful. And uh, I think we were able to put those in the hands of about 20,000 Christian students to share with their friends. Amazing. And uh, it was a really special season. And um, I, I had personal stories of like giving one of those Bibles to a friend, them coming back the next day. What are all those numbers all over the place? Great question. <laughs> those are put in there later, you know, but that was like, they're really reading it. They're asking yeah. questions and then having conversations about Jesus as a result. And uh, I know that's not all they do is hand out Bibles. There's lots more going on. And I hear what you're saying specifically around engagement and supporting the work of engagement, but I'm just particularly grateful. And so, I mean, you're here representing them. Thank you so much for the work you're doing. And I do think scripture is a really important conversation for the church in Canada right now. Um, There's lots being said around deconstruction and different things. And at the heart of this conversation raises questions about lots of things, including scripture. How do you relate to it? What kind of authority does it have? And I think it continues to be, I think it's significant that we acknowledge that the Bible is God's book, Uh, but it's not simple. It was written over many years and there's work to be done to best understand it and contextualize it and make sense of it. Uh, as part of a discipleship journey and an evangelistic journey. But the space of Bible engagement, I think is a critical Mm. space for our time. And just thankful that you continue to help lead that conversation, inviting people into it. It means a lot. I think it's deeply important. Yeah, and it it really is very close to my heart. Um, I do love the Bible, (laughs) but I think that one of the reasons why I love the Bible is because it leads me to the word who is Jesus, mm. you know? And so we, we sometimes talk about the, you know, people refer to the Bible as the word of God. Yeah. And it is the word of God, you know? Yeah. So we often talk about the written word of God, which leads us to Jesus Christ, you know, in the beginning was the word. Yeah. And the word was with God and the word was God. And that's Jesus. Mm. Uh, he is the word. And so I think on a, on a deep level, when we begin to listen to the scriptures, mm. And uh, this is what I encounter, you know, in my pastoral ministry, uh, that opportunity to listen to the word and have it um, imbue all aspects of our life. You know, that's that's really what we are 
being called to, I think you're, and especially I think even for this season, maybe in a deeper way, uh, Jason, we're, we're called to go deeper than the debates mm. and the struggles and the conflicts. I think um, God is calling us to go to the deeper level. Mm. And the good thing about the scriptures is that they are endlessly deep. Yeah. And we have that opportunity to go with people on a relational level, on a, uh, the context of uh, communities, to that deeper level. And that's actually what the, the study on scripture engagement found that, you know, okay, not very many people are engaging with the scriptures in Canada, but they do so together. Mm. So the community aspect is the aspect that actually leads people to engage uh, with the Bible on a deeper level. So that's what brings people mm. uh, into deeper um, connection with the word and for our you know, from where I'm coming from, that's communion with God. That's communion with Jesus Christ. Mm. Well, I've loved this time together. I'm so grateful that you made the drive from Chilliwack to our offices here in Vancouver and appreciate this conversation, the other conversations we've had and look forward to many more. Thank you. Well, I want to say thanks again to Father Matthew Francis for making time, for coming all the way down to the studio, for being with us. I loved that conversation, and I hope you could feel what we felt in the room, which is a real sense of God's presence as we talked about ministry together. It was beautiful. Hey, a quick reminder, if you want to access the Mark Sayers recording that I was talking about at the beginning of the podcast, you can check out the description or head to our Instagram bio or website, ccln.ca, and sign up to get it in your inbox. And on our next episode, we have a Canadian pastor, Pastor Phil Kniesel from Edmonton. He's the lead pastor of Hope City Church in Edmonton, Alberta. He's been there for 16 years. For the first 10 years, he led an amazing young adult ministry called The Project. And about six years ago, he took over after a six-year transition plan from the lead pastor, Gary Tatinger, who'd been there for over three decades. It was a really meaningful conversation. I loved hearing more about what's happening in the life of the church and look forward to sharing it with you on our next episode. Thanks for joining us today. Tons of love for each of you. Thanks for journeying along. We'll see you soon.